Chapter 5 of The Amethyst Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Courtney Miller. The Amethyst Cross by Fergus Hume. Chapter 5. Mrs. Walker's Opinion. After that one extraordinary adventure which broke so remarkably the monotony of George Walker's life, things went very smoothly for a time. That is, they progressed in their usual humdrum way, which was trying to the young man's ambitious spirits. He wanted to marry Lesbia, to make a home for her, to attain a position which her beauty would adorn, and he saw no means of doing so. He went regularly to the office, earned his small salary, and dreamed dreams which could never be realized, at least there appeared to be no chance of realization. What could a man of moderate attainments with no money and no friends, hoped to do in the way of cutting a figure in the world. Mrs. Walker duly returned home, and Jenny gave her a highly colored account of the burglary, which she heard in stern silence. She was a tall, grim woman with a hard face and a stiff manner, and was invariably arrayed in plain black gowns devoid of any trimming whatsoever. Her hair, still dark in spite of her age, was smoothed over her temples in the plain early Victorian manner, and her pale countenance was as smooth as that of a young girl. That she was a gentlewoman could easily be seen, but her manner was repellent and suspicious. Also, her thin lips and hard grey eyes did not invite sympathy. How such a puritanical person ever came to have a handsome, gracious son of such as George perplexed more than one person. The general opinion was that he inherited his looks and his charm of manner from his late father. Report credited the Honorable Aylmer Walker with more fascination than principle, and truth to tell, his posthumous reputation was better than that which he had enjoyed when living. Having ascertained the facts of the burglary and the loss of the amethyst cross, Mrs. Walker held her peace, and did not discuss the subject with her son. George, indeed, ventured upon a lame explanation, which she received in dead silence. After the hint given by Mr. Hale, the young man was not desirous of disclosing his engagement to Lesbia, and a discussion about the stolen cross would inevitably lead to the truth becoming known to Mrs. Walker. Sooner or later he knew that he would have to speak, but he postponed doing so until he could see his future more clearly. If he could only procure a better post in the city— he could then afford to keep Lesbia in comparative comfort and pass a love-in-a-cottage existence. But until he was in a position to do so, he avoided confiding in his mother. Also, Mrs. Walker was not a sympathetic mother and would certainly not have encouraged the young man's love dream. But one evening, Mrs. Walker unexpectedly broached the subject of dinner. This was seven days after the adventure of the cross, and during that time George had never set eyes on Lesbia. Several times he had rowed as usual to the garden's foot, but had waited in vain for the girl's appearance. An inquiry at the house provoked no response, as neither Tim nor Lesbia came to the fast-closed door. George in despair had written, but to his anxious letter had received no reply. Lesbia remained silent, and the cottage barred and bolted, so George began to believe that Hale had smuggled away his daughter— lest she should elope with the lover of whom he so strongly disapproved. This state of uncertainty wore Walker's nerves thin, and he lost his appetite and his night's rest. Mechanically, he went to Tate's office, 
did his daily work, and returned home again, fretting all the time after the girl who was beyond his reach. He even tried to see Mr. Hale, but that gentleman was conspicuous by his absence. Never was a lover in so dismal a situation. On this especial evening, George, in evening dress, faced his silent mother at the dinner table. Mrs. Walker wore a plain black silk gown, perfectly cut, but wholly unadorned. Like Mr. Hale, she always insisted upon a certain style being observed and dined, so to speak, in state. The tiny room was well furnished with the remnants of her former prosperity, and looked like the abode of a gentlewoman. Nothing could have been more perfect than the table appointments, and, if the food was plain, the way in which it was served left nothing to be desired. Jenny, neatly dressed, waited deftly, and, at the conclusion of the dinner, placed a decanter of port before George, along with a silver box of cigarettes and a dainty silver spirit lamp. As a rule, Mrs. Walker withdrew at this moment to enjoy her coffee in the drawing-room, while George sipped his wine and trifled with a cigarette, but on this occasion she remained. "'You can bring my coffee here,' she said to Jenny, in her unemotional voice. George wondered at this departure from the usual routine, for his mother had never broken the domestic rule she had instituted as far back as he could remember. However, he did not feel called upon to say anything, but poured out a glass of port and lighted a cigarette. When Mrs. Walker obtained her coffee and Jenny had departed, she spoke to her son through the gathering twilight. "'I have received a letter from Mr. Hale,' said Mrs. Walker in her coldest voice, and sat bolt upright with her eyes on the comely blonde face of her son. "'What?' George flushed and started and laughed nervously. "'That is very strange,' he said after a pause. "'Mr. Hale has never written to you before.' "'There are reasons why he should not have written to me before, as there are reasons why he writes to me now.' "'May I know those reasons?' asked George quietly, but inwardly anxious. "'Certainly. Mrs. Walker was disagreeable but excessively polite, as she never forgot her manners, whatever the provocation. In fact, I have waited to explain them, but I think you had better tell me your story first. "'What story?' "'That of your engagement to Lesbia Hale, and of the cross which was stolen from this cottage.' "'What?' George rose restlessly, and grew redder than ever. "'You know—' "'I know everything,' said his mother imperiously. "'Mr. Hale is annoyed by the way in which you are haunting his Marlowe cottage, "'and has asked me to use my influence with you to stop the annoyance.' "'That is quite likely,' rejoined George, fuming. "'But I decline to give up Lesbia. "'Mr. Hale knows that.' "'He knows, apparently, that you are obstinate and foolish,' said Mrs. Walker in a chilly manner. "'And as your infatuation, for it is nothing else, can lead to nothing, "'I must ask you to stop these hopeless visits.' "'Mother, if you knew Lesbia, I know that Lesbia is the daughter of a man whom I despise and hate,' said Mrs. Walker, moved to cold anger, "'and my son shall never marry her.' "'You have not the power to stop the marriage,' said George quietly. "'That is quite true. I have no money to threaten disinheritance, and no legal power over a man who is of age. I might indeed appeal to your affection, but I fear that it would be useless.' George flung his cigarette out of the window and thrust his hands moodily into his pockets. "'Affection is a strange word to use between us, mother,' he remarked bitterly. "'You have always been strict and straightforward and painfully polite. "'You have given me a good education, and you have instructed me in good manners. "'My home,' he looked round, "'or rather your home, you permit me to share. "'Pardon me, George, you forget that you contribute to the domestic economy of this home such as it is. "'Go on.' "'I mean,' cried George desperately, for her manner chilled him, 
that you have never been a mother to me in the accepted sense of the word. I have done my duty, said Mrs. Walker without flinching. Duty? Duty? What is duty when I wanted love? I have lived in a freezing atmosphere which has nearly changed me into a statue. Can you wonder that I sought out someone to love? Perhaps not, since you are young and foolish, but I regret that this someone should be a girl that I cannot possibly receive as my daughter-in-law. What do you mean by that? demanded George sharply. Nothing detrimental to the girl, replied Mrs. Walker calmly. She may have all the beauty in the world and all the virtues and probably has, in your eyes, but she is Walter Hale's daughter and so cannot be mine. Why do you hate Mr. Hale, mother? That, said Mrs. Walker, sitting very upright, is my private business. But when it interferes with my happiness, I cannot help that, she said rigorously. What is past is past and what is dead is dead. I don't understand you. I do not mean that you should. But I would point out that your association with this girl has already led you into danger. You have been assaulted and robbed, and have come into contact with the police, which is always undesirable. Renounce Lesbia, George, lest worse befall. The robbery and the assault are mysteries. Nonetheless, they are dangerous. I can explain no more than you can, but Mr. Hale is a dangerous person to my knowledge, and— Tell me what you know, interpolated her son. No, said Mrs. Walker with iron determination. It would do no good to break the silence of years. All I can say is that you shall never marry the girl with my consent. And if I do it without it, chafed George irritably, then you will never set eyes on me again, returned Mrs. Walker quietly. Mother! The woman calmly finished her coffee and rose noiselessly. The time may come when I can explain, she said in her precise voice. Meanwhile, I can only command you, or implore you, whichever you please, to leave this girl alone and go no more to the Marlowe cottage. "'I don't see why I should obey you blindly,' cried George angrily. "'At least give me a reason for your objection to Lesbia.' "'I have given it. She is the daughter of Walter Hale. "'And are the sins of the father, whatever they may be, to be visited upon the child, mother?' "'Quoting the Bible will not alter my determination,' said Mrs. Walker, absolutely cold and impassive. "'You must do as I request, or be prepared to see me no more.' "'Mother, can you not explain about this mysterious cross?' "'No.' "'You refuse to.' I mean that I cannot. I know nothing about the cross, or about the assault made on you, or indeed about the burglary. All I do know is that Mr. Hale is a dangerous man and is connected with dangerous people. What has occurred proves it. But surely you don't think that Mr. Hale is connected with these mysteries? I think nothing, because I know nothing. She moved swiftly forward and placed a slim hand on her son's broad shoulder. Be wise and give up this girl. The wife who is waiting for you will suit you better. George grew crimson. The wife, he stammered, Maud Ellis, Mr. Tate's niece. She loves you, and she has told me so. If you marry her, she will bring you money, and her uncle will forward your interests. Tomorrow you are stopping for the weekend at Mr. Tate's house. Before you return here on Monday, ask Maud to be your wife. I shall do nothing of the sort, said George fiercely. How can I propose to one girl when I love another? Maud Ellis adores you, George. I know she does. It seems conceited to say so but I am quite aware of her adoration, and I don't like it. She is rich and handsome and all the rest of it, and a marriage with her means my getting on in the office. All the same, I, 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 he hesitated, then finished his sentence with a rush. I love Lesbia, so there is no more to be said. Mrs. Walker removed her hand and glided to the door again, her cold self. I quite agree with you, she said, exasperatingly cool. However, you know my determination. Act as you please." And affection, called out George as she opened the door, must give way to common sense.
When alone, the young man dropped into a chair and looked moodily at the disordered dinner table. He was very much to be pitied for having such a mother. Of a warm, affectionate nature, George hungered for some object upon which to expend his love. Mrs. Walker had always been a granite image, unapproachable and chill. No doubt she was fond of her handsome son in her own cold way, but she had never given him the maternal love he craved for. It was small wonder that the boy had gone afield to find some satisfaction for his craving. Lesbia supplied the want, and on her side found the same joy as her lover in their mutual affection. Mr. Hale in his way was as cold and repellent to her as Mrs. Walker was to her son. Yet these two people, not giving the longed-for love themselves to their children, were trying to rob hungry hearts of spiritual sustenance, a dog-in-a-manger attitude which did not commend itself to George. He felt that he and Lesbia were severely alone, conscious only of each other and environed by mysteries, which neither could understand. Mr. Hale could explain, and so could Mrs. Walker, but no explanation was volunteered, and George did not know where to look for an elucidation of their several attitudes. Mrs. Walker certainly professed herself ignorant of the Amethyst Cross mystery, and apparently spoke truly, as her dislike to the match with Lesbia appeared to be wholly based upon her hatred of Walter Hale. And that hatred had to do with Hale's past, of which George knew as little as he did of the past of his mother. But Hale knew something about the cross, which accounted for his extraordinary behavior, although he declared that he did not know who had stolen it. George was also greatly perplexed to know who had taken him to the Marlowe cottage while he was insensible. Sitting in the chair with his eyes on the ground, he frowningly perplexed himself with these problems. It was all of no use, so he brushed aside the troubles and, after changing his evening dress for boating flannels, went to the river. He hoped by exercise to rid himself of these phantoms, so indistinct and yet so real. Having launched his boat and settled to work, George spun down the stream, the current and his own efforts carrying him along with what appeared to be lightning speed. The attention required in looking after the slight craft prevented his thinking of his mysterious troubles, and his spirits began to rise. At Henley Lock, his course was stayed, for as he swung into the gates, he became aware that another boat was in the lock, and that Tim occupied that same strange shallop. The two men recognized one another at once, and a very natural question leaped to Walker's lips. Lesbia? he gasped. Through for ye, grumbled Tim, who looked more misshapen than ever in the dim light. It's from the young mistress I come. Whist now, sore, and let me clear out of this divil of a place. George backed his boat out of the lock, and Tim, muttering under his breath, followed closely. Then the little man paddled his clumsy craft into the near bank, and beckoned George to come also. In a few minutes the two boats were amongst the rustling sedges side by side, and Walker waited breathlessly for Tim to speak. The sky was filling with shadows, but there was sufficient light for George to see that Tim looked both sorrowful and worried. The sight of the dwarf's sad face revived his terrors. "'Lesbia!' cried George again, and gripped Tim's arm fiercely. "'She is well?' "'Well in body but sick of heart,' said Tim dismally. "'Ugh! The poor mistress!' and how can she be well with the devil's diversions being played round her? I have tried to see her. Divil a doubt of it, sore. And you have sent letters likewise. She never answered, breathed George sadly. And how could she when she never received them same? Answer me that now, sir. George sat bolt upright in his boat. Never got my letters? Then how? Ah, be easy now, my dear young master, pleaded Tim, and took a tiny note from his pocket. 
This was all the mistress could write, being watched like a mouse, and by a cat too, did will take the slot. George scarcely heard what Tim was saying. He was devouring two or three lines of Lesbia's dear writing, which data that she would always be true to him, and that Tim would reveal all. Reveal what? cried the young man, kissing the letter before transferring it to his pocket. The devil's diversions, grumbled Tim. Write an answer, sir. I have no pencil, no paper, said George in dismay. But tell me exactly what has occurred, Tim, and then I'll see what can be done. Tim nodded. Sure, it's dying for you she is, my dear sir. The master wants her to marry the captain. Bad luck to his soul. I know that, but hold your whist, sir, growled the little man, flinging up his long arm. I have mighty little time to spake. The master doesn't trust me, for by he knows I wish to see my dear mistress happy with you, sir. So he's got a she-devil in the house, Mrs. Petty by name, who capes a watch inside. Then there's Captain Sergeant's man. The shadow, they call him for his thin looks, though canning is his name, bad luck to it. He watches outside, and when your boat comes in sight, he passes the word to Miss Petty, and she, may the father have lies, fly away with her, shuts Miss Lesbia in her room. But this is tyranny, cried George, exasperated. Do you mean to say that Mr. Hale has his daughter watched in this manner? Aye, and I do, and he'll have her watched till she goes to church with Captain Sergeant, or until ye get back that crass. But never fear, sir. Miss Lesbia has a fine spirit of her own, and she'll stick to ye, through thick and thin, like the brave young lady she is. "'What's to be done?' asked George in dismay. Tim leaned forward. "'Write a bit of a letter and send it to me, Mr. Timothy Burke. Rose Cottage, Marlow. Them two divils, Mrs. Petty and the Shadow, to say nothing of the master, won't stop that. Then I'll find means to pass it to the mistress.' "'Yes, yes, Tim, I'll do that. But the tyranny! Whist now, for time passes, my dear sir. I heard the master saying that Captain Sergeant was going to stay with Mr. Tate at Tinley. Spake to him, sir, to that same captain. But what can I say? demanded George, more and more perplexed. Sir, cried Tim gruffly, as ere a man ye can break the head of the devil. And with this advice, Tim pushed his boat again into midstream. End of chapter 5